0: You are a special listener. You have been chosen to revisit a movie that stands alone as uncontaminated from the rest of the plague ridden movies of Michael Bay. Your prize for winning the lottery is to return to 2005's The Island to discover once and for all that it's not that bad. <laughs> Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, great in B, movies. Now, I'm just going to put this out there right on Front Street. I may be a little biased personally in this one because as much as we kind of like to rip on Michael Bay on this show occasionally, and, you know, let's be honest, what podcaster hasn't ripped on Michael Bay, I'm going to put this out there right now right away and say we are about to talk about my absolute favorite Michael Bay film of all time because we are talking 2005's The Island.
1: I have a question.
0: Uh, yes. More than
1: Transformers?
0: More than Transformers. Wow. Yeah. That's big. I know I know but joining me on this journey to the island is my lovely wife Carrie. Carrie, Hello. How are you doing?
1: I'm good but I, I might be suffering shock at this moment <laughs> in time.
0: But you, you have to... Uh, let me explain why Carrie is probably very, very, very shocked. I am a fully admitting... Certified geek? Uh, yes. But growing up, I was a Transformers kid. To the point of when the 1986 Transformers animated movie came out, you know, I went to go see it a couple times in the theaters, but then when it hit the video store, I rented it ad nauseum. I rented it so many times it would have been cheaper to buy the VHS to the point that I had that movie word for word memorized.
1: Ooh, that's yeah. my Batman.
0: That That is your Batman.
1: You know, for you to say that you like any movie more than a Transformers product,
0: right? Or
1: franchise is like saying I like Barbie more than Jem. Well, As your listeners know, that's that's a big statement. There, mm-hmm.
0: well, we'll have to ask you that again once the Margot Robbie Barbie movie comes out, but. Ooh. (laughs) Right? Intriguing. It is intriguing. Uh, But before we get into this Michael Bay film that has all of a sudden, you know, piqued the interest of my wife, it is time to take 2005's The Island and trailerize
2: it. Imagine a future with mag trains and flying motorcycles where the rich can achieve immortality by paying a company to create clones that can be used as spare parts. Travel to the distant future of 2019. (laughs) Uh, Hold up. 2019? This, This takes place in 2019. Where the hell are our mag trains? Why can't I fly around on a hover cycle? And why does Yuka Mountain look like a DLC level of Fallout? I I, I know the pandemic was rough, but did I miss something? I mean, this film only came out in 2005. Can you count a little higher, huh? (sighs) Where was I? Oh, yes. Watch as clones Lincoln Six Echo and Jordan 2 Delta run for their lives after she wins the lottery. Much like anyone would run if they actually won the lottery, and didn't want their friends and family to find out and start looking for handouts. Together, they'll trash Nevada, trash Los Angeles, and trash anything that stands in the way of their freedom. That's what happens when you don't let Obi-Wan have his bacon. You and McGregor and Scarlett Johansson star in the island, rated 14A for Attack of the Clones. i am so glad you
1: said attack of the clones right were they sponsored by nike
0: Uh, there is we have to kind of of talk about this well you know let's talk about this now because there is a ton of product placement in this film it is the almost the most michael bay version of I mean, and this is kind of led into what Transformers was, right? Transformers was one product placement after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, to the point of the Transformers themselves were basically product placements for like Chevrolet. This, this was almost like the gateway drug to prepare you for that. Because there was a lot of product placement in there. But I, since you brought it up, did it bug you? as to how much product placement was in there.
1: I I have to be honest, aside from the Nike shoes, I'm not quite sure. Maybe I've missed a whole lot. Wow, yeah. okay, so what? like
0: there, there there's the scene where they're like virtual fighting each other while they're, you know, before they escape from the facility clearly sponsored by xbox there's the i think it's like Michelob was the beer that uh, steve buscemi's character was drinking where it's like let's have a product shot before he freaking drinks it um the fact that there's a scene okay again first of all this is a 2005 film and we're recording this podcast in 2023 so if you haven't watched it yet it's available on prime video so go ahead and watch it but if you have watched it, get ready. We're going to spoil the crap out of it anyways. There's a, uh, a scene in this movie where Scarlett Johansson sees a commercial of the person that she's cloned off of. Mm-hmm. That's a real commercial with Scarlett Johansson.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> It, what was it for? A cover Girl or something? No, it was
0: Eternity Moment by Eternity. Calvin Klein. Uh-huh. Like it's an actual. You can find this commercial. Like they basically just took the commercial. And said, yeah, let's use that. Why shoot something new with Scarlett Johansson? It already exists.
1: That's hilarious. <laughs>
0: it's, there's so much. Cor- it's not as blatant as Transformers, but there is a lot of product placement in this. But let's get into who is in this movie. This movie stars Ewan McGregor, Scarlett Johansson, Jamon Hansu, Steve Buscemi, Sean Bean, Michael Clark Duncan, Ethan Phillips, directed by Michael Bay. because we've already said it a million times. The original script, we kind of joked about this in the trailer eyes, the original script had this movie set 100 years in the future they kept on bringing that number down apparently according to imdb for budgetary reasons cuz they didn't want to spend so much of a cgi budget to create a super futuristic society so let's bring it back a bit let's bring it back a bit yeah you know 14 years that ought to be fine the world should be gone in you know by 2019
1: can i just point out that they picked
0: 2019 <laughs> like what does michael bay know
1: covid 19 I swear, it was like <laughs> on his radar.
0: Right? What, Maybe
1: he's to blame.
0: What did Michael <gasps> Bay know, and when did he know it? COVID nineteen is a
1: Michael Bay right product.
0: Yeah, yeah. We've turned it's not that bad into a conspiracy theory show. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Soon to be aired on Fox News. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Follow us for more bullshit news. <laughs> but he, but here's an interesting movie theory, though. Okay. People out there have hypothesized that this film lives in the same universe as another Michael Bay film, Armageddon, for one simple connection. And that connection is through actress, Shawnee Smith. Now, most people will recognize Shawnee Smith from her roles in the Saw movies, but in Armageddon, she played a waitress who met up with Steve Buscemi at a bar. And in this film, She plays the bartender who, of course, is living with Steve Buscemi at the time. So there's there is your connection right there. This film was given a dishonorable mention at the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards for worst film that year. The winner of that of that year was Alone in the Dark. So this didn't even make the top five. And there were no Razzie nominations. There were no other Stinkers movie award nominations. So it's not like this film was panned. However, it was passed at the box office. This film had a budget, according to IMDB, of $126 million. The domestic gross 35. million only for a Michael Bay film, domestically. Worldwide, it made $162 million. When it debuted on the July 22nd, 2005 weekend, it debuted at number four with only $12.4 million. Number one that week was the second week of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Wedding Crashers was number two. Fantastic Four was number three. The Island was the highest grossing debut film. Uh, Following that was number five, the debut of the Bad News Bears remake. At number seven, there was the debut of Hustle and Flow. And at number eight, The Devil's Rejects was also debuting. So there were a lot of movies making their debuts that weekend. But I mean, when you read up on this, there was a lot of talk about how people were blaming the marketing. Like people were saying nothing really bad about the film, but it's just like they didn't know what it was about. They didn't know it existed. Like I get that a Michael Bay film these days is the biggest thing to hit the screen because it's going to have the most explosions. But I mean, let me ask you if I say let's watch a Michael Bay film, what's the first film that comes to mind?
1: transformers.
0: And then after that? Bumblebee. Well, he didn't direct that though.
1: Then he, I have no clue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the bad boys movies? Okay, yeah, sure. Armageddon, sure. Why not? You know, The Rock, you know, people people who want to subject pain upon themselves might pick Pearl Harbor, but this film kind of flies under the radar and it's kind of a shame. Cuz it is in my opinion one of his best movies. But that being said, for the longest time, this movie held the record for Michael Bay's worst performing film domestically at the box office with that $35 gross as a director. There were other movies where he, as a producer, like basically he's putting money into it kind of thing. So he's not really the one pulling the strings, but as a director... This was his lowest grossing domestic box office film until 2022 when Ambulance hit the screens. But I mean, you, you can even put an asterisk on Ambulance because it came out in 2022. Just as movies and theaters are starting to open up to a sense of normalcy. So I think you have to consider The Island still to be one of his, maybe his worst performing movie at the box office domestically domestically and i don't know if that played into anything over at uh, the critics over on metacritic this film has a meta score of 50 right down the middle but on rotten tomatoes it has an audience score of 63% so fairly respectable a rotten tomatoes score of 39% considering that this film i mean at least personally i find to be one of his best films is that 39% really harsh to you?
1: I think so. I mean, I'd be curious what they were saying. Personally, I, I could say that the movie was a bit almost like, it starts out and you're like, okay, right? So this is the world that they live in. and A
0: very utopian society, yeah. And
1: Right. And then as you're watching it, you're like, Okay, there's something very odd about this. So what's happening? And then there's that middle part that's, you know, like a Michael Bay film. You yeah. know? Like <laughs>
0: Big things go boom.
1: Insert, you know, big explosions here. And um and then boom, they're in the real world, you know? And like Ewan McGregor meets you and McGregor, right? Yeah. Like, um, it's just kind it almost kind of felt to me like two separate movies it's, that were kind of mixed together with a big explosion. And that's
0: kind of, the. I think, the general consensus. Even Roger Ebert had put it out saying, you know, there are two very good films here. Whether they're good together remains to be seen. But to the same token as well, as, as far as the story goes, there's a lot of talk about how it's kind of riffs on all these other stories, to the point that there's some controversy uh, applied to this film. There was, according to Wikipedia, a a lawsuit from the makers of the 1979 film parts, the Clonus horror. And they basically brought a list of 100 points of similarity between the Clonus horror and the Island. It was never really taken to court because there was a seven-figure settlement reached between the makers of the island and the makers of the Clonus Horror. So whether it is a copy or not remains to be seen but that being said if you want to watch the clonus horror uh you can actually find the mystery science theater 3000 version of that over on tubi but i mean a lot of people have also compared this to a 1996 novel called spares written by michael marshall smith and the interesting thing is that that novel was optioned by dreamworks in the light in the late 90s according to wikipedia he, the author has said that he looked at it and didn't really see any direct correlation, but, I mean, there's a lot of comparisons to it. And people have mentioned that there's there's comparisons to Logan's Run, to THX 1138. I mean, I remember personally watching this film and then reading Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, and, like, this feels kind of like the utopian part of, of the book. So it's not like it's... <laughs> it's not like it's an original story, but there's really nothing original in Hollywood. Everything is kind of a riff on everything else. You know the story, right? Like there's only like, what what was it? 33 33 stories in Hollywood and everything is just a riff on those 33 or something like that. But it's not, that doesn't necessarily make this a bad film. It just doesn't make it necessarily original. But let's get to what makes this film, at least in my opinion, a decent film. Let's start with Ewan McGregor, who plays Lincoln Six Echo. How was Obi-Wan for you?
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, fantastic, especially when he meets his real-life human version.
0: His sponsor, yes.
1: His sponsor. Well, it's, it's him, is it not?
0: Yeah, they're called sponsors.
1: But it's the human version. Yes. The Scottish-speaking human version. Yeah. Loved it.
0: Which, which is fascinating because of course Hugh McGregor is Scottish.
1: Absolutely loved every moment. He could read me, me the phone book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really over David Tennant, huh?
1: Well, no, I, I mean either either whoever's not not busy this weekend, uh, you know,
0: just give a call, <laughs> pick up this you know the Scottish phone book, and just start reading. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just go full Scouse and you're good. Um, the other thing too is that that. Uh, Tom Lincoln, the sponsor, the real life person uh, is a a speed enthusiast, a motorcycle enthusiast as is Ewan McGregor as well. So really Ewan McGregor got to play himself as Tom Lincoln, but as Lincoln Six Echo, it's interesting because apparently they were telling all the people who were playing clones um, that really they're of the mentality level of children. You really see that in Lincoln 6 Echo. You see this almost youthful, childlike naivete and wonder at the world around him, especially when they get outside the facility. There was just something so earnest about how you McGregor played Lincoln 6 Echo in this. Like I don't know, did did you find cuz there were times where I'm like, "Oh, they're 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 making him like a dumb kid." But
1: you know what though, with that said, I love how they didn't downplay or didn't Like they, they didn't make him as childlike as some of the examples, the, the, the one gentleman who was trying to eat the test tubes or whatever, like, like,
0: but if you take a look at the naming convention of all the different clones, that was a Foxtrot model. Right, so that was a, a, a newer batch of clones, you know, you know, recently found in the contaminated zones and brought to, to this place so they could enter the, the, the lottery to go to the island. So the names of them, Lincoln Six Echo, the Lincoln part comes from his sponsor, Tom Lincoln. Six is actually the, the geographic region of the states that the, the sponsor lives in. So Six was in California uh that's why scarlett johansson was jordan 2 delta uh the 2 was new york jordan being sarah jordan the sponsor the delta and the echo are the, the basically the the batch number of where they're doing these clones so that's why with the echo uh level that there was this you know growth of memories that came from the sponsor which is why lincoln sex echo was having all of these visions that actually were from Tom Lincoln's memory. So there there is actually quite a bit of thought to the naming of the clones.
1: It's interesting you say that because I was under the impression that they were given like randomly the same 12 memories. Yeah. And depending on which one they were given, you know. Yeah. Like that's what they were assigned. That's all they knew. But you're saying well, that well, he could see? He could he
0: was having basically the memories of tom lincoln because with jordan 2 delta scarlett johansson's character she was an earlier model she was an earlier batch so you know the for for lack of a better term the recipe in the soup you know was only developed thus far lincoln six echo is a later model which is why when they say like you know jordan is like four and he's like three years old kind of thing so there was something in what they did when they were making the Echo series of clones that allowed the ability for the memories to also grow from the DNA from the sponsor, which is why the Echo line, that's why when they when they were ready to incinerate all of the, uh, the clones, they were all Echoes. So it was that line. It was basically a bad batch in their opinion. It was a recall.
1: Hmm. Can I just put out, Right now, because before I forget to mention this one point, my one sticky point with the entire movie, Mm -hmm. I think, personally, watching this movie, I would have liked to have seen the sponsor's life story. Like, I would have liked to have seen what actually happened to Scarlett Johansson's character or human that she was in the hospital because the only reason we knew that is that she had tried to contact the house and the child was like, "Mom. like ah,
0: but they, they addressed that though.
1: But no, but I wanted to see like more of that kind of like even if it's just editing back and forth from one reality of actual life back to the utopian society that that is like something right because they're randomly winning the lotto and then getting hacked up
0: uh i'm i'm gonna disagree with you on that one actually you're wrong at least oh. in my opinion yeah make that your ringtone wow uh,
1: <laughs> but i mean this went south fast
0: when they bring you mcgregor into the the ceo's office to have that little meaning to talk about the the dreams that he's having kind of thing um he sees Sarah Jordan's and the and Jordan 2 Delta's file up on the desk before the the CEO uh puts it away and then they're talking about um with with Sarah Jordan the the sponsor you know that she's only got about 48 hours to live that's when he sends Jamon Hansu out to go find them like the sponsor only has X amount of time to live. She needs those body parts. She needs those those organs from Jordan to Delta in order to be able to survive. I don't think we needed to see much more of it. I mean, we we had we knew that Michael Clark Duncan's um, uh, sponsor was a football player, right? We saw that in the billboard. We we saw the you know the sassy secretary talking about a kind of thing. I don't think the story was really about any of the sponsors aside from Tom Lincoln.
1: I just think in the beginning, I mean, even like an opening credit scene, just to base it in New York and, you know, Scarlett Johansson's sponsor starts to feel ill or whatever it is that's causing her to go into the hospital just to at least, A, introduce the characters that there is a world outside this utopian society Mm -hmm. and to at least like something that you can trigger a memory to like at the end when, Oh yeah. So now, you know, her clone is being, is winning the lottery, but Ewan McGregor's clone like was aware or starting to learn and piece together what's happening here and that she's going to die. So he has to save her out of that like I, I kind of disagree with that too something like give me something more than just finding out as you go I mean, so close to the end of the movie but I think
0: it's not really at the end of the movie but I think it's one of those things where they sprinkled enough throughout the the realization before um, Lincoln pops up into the you know the, the floor where they're doing the surgery on Starkweather and like you know that a that's a harsh scene right like when they're they're they're, they he tries to run after he's been cut open and he's like i don't
2: i want to go to the island i don't want to die
0: we're not watching this movie with the kids but but i i don't think you needed that spoon fed to you i i i liked that it was you know a bit of a reveal i liked that you know there were seeds of the knowledge planted throughout the you know to get to that point but it wasn't just like you know it allowed something to reveal.
1: I think, though, I'm still going to respectfully disagree because you want something to feel for these characters or the sponsors. I, you want to you wanna actually see them as human to want to try and save them, to at least want to justify what's going on here. Let me play devil's advocate on that one there.
0: 'Cause it's an interesting concept though, right? Because yes, I do agree that there's the part where um, where Jordan Two Delta makes the phone call to her sponsor, right? And, you know, she realizes that the, her sponsor is in the hospital and the kid's like, Mommy, is that you kind of thing. That part you could see where there's going to be, you know, a you know, a decision to be made do I live or do I die to, so that this person can live? But to the same token as well, Tom Lincoln is not a likable character at all.
1: Which is exactly why you needed to tease with the Scarlett Johansson's character or sponsor.
0: But but to that token as well, like we're, we're, talk, we're talking about people that are rich enough to be able to create clones so basically, they have a spare parts factory, so they can they can achieve immortality by cheating out death. So that-
1: something though, give me something like show, show her at the park with her kid, or you know walking the little one to school, or like something, like make us feel for her. Like again, yeah, because. Um, Tom Lincoln's character was so unlikable, yeah. That honestly, I found myself thinking, okay, so what? Why exactly do I care? I want to care, and I think that's what's missing is just humanize one. It doesn't even have to necessarily be Scarlett Johansson's character. I think that would make the most sense, yeah. But you at least have to show that there is a human being that is. Like depending on this clone I, to live, I think they did
0: that though a little bit. And here and
1: follow, not enough for me, though,
0: not maybe not enough for you, but there was the one scene, and this was when the, the, the realization really hit. Right? Uh, Lima won Alpha, who won the lottery, who was pregnant, and they, they brought her upstairs to deliver the baby. And then you all of a sudden you realize that the, this clone. Is basically a surrogate mother because the, the the mother who basically paid the price to have the clone probably could not have children for one for one reason or another. So that one makes sense.
1: They could have explored that even. They didn't. You, I mean, you're just kind of like led to figure it out or feel for the character. I mean, that was a hard scene to watch because,
0: well, especially from the nurse sitting there as she's putting the straps on the ankles. And it's just like the, you know, you, you did your job. You did really well. You gave birth. And it's like, it feels so bad knowing that I'm going to have to end you. But she had
1: that false empathy look that it was just Mm. like almost condescending. I'm like, Ooh,
0: it's hard to say. Like, I don't know if, if it's, you know, a forced coldness in order to be able to allow her to be to to have the clone killed. But- I
1: honestly think that like those performing the, the the operations literally did not look at them as human. They literally looked at them like, this is just a necessary means to an end. like yeah. they're really nothing. More yeah, than th-
0: this, clone was an easy bake oven in essence.
1: Like I hate to, uh, I hate to to put a line to it, but like maybe like a butcher and a, uh, you know, yeah, a slab well, of meat. Like, well, it, it's it.
0: There's that line in the in the movie, and I'm pretty, I think it was done by Tom Lincoln. Uh, it's like just because someone wants a hamburger doesn't mean they want to meet the cow, right? Yeah, which brilliant freaking line. Love that, but I mean. It, it that moment though, where where they kill Lima One Alpha after giving birth, um, it's it shows that on the part of 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 the Merrick industry or whatever the Merrick Institute, this is business. There there's no attachment to these clones. This is business, and to the people who are giving their money to Merrick in order to be able to do this, no matter how much they. May you know, you know, claim that ignorance is bliss kind of thing. oh, we just thought that there was no. you had to have an idea.
1: well, that's exactly why I want to see a backstory, at least one. Mm-hmm. Give me one where I can actually feel bad or feel for the human angle that that for whatever reason they they want to live. They need to have this clone so that they can extend their life because, for whatever reason, again, you know, if it's Scarlett Johansson's character, she wants to see her child grow up, right? And maybe she knows that she's sick with a terminal illness and it's, you know, going to end very quickly. Or if it's the the surrogate mother scenario, like, let's see her struggle in trying to have a child of her Her own. own, you know, Make Like, give me something so that I can feel for the human behind the clone because they missed the mark on that. I'm sorry, but I still feel that way.
0: It's interesting because you you have in Tom Lincoln a very unlikable sponsor. Right. So when he's killed, again, sorry, spoilers. So when he's killed, you're like, oh, great, the clone's going to get his freedom. If we got to meet Sarah Jordan the sponsor of Jordan 2 Delta. And we saw that she was, you know, yes, a a model or an actress or whatever the case may be, and but a a good mom and a good person who just happens to have an unfortunate, um, say, hereditary condition that's, you know, going to cause her to, to die prematurely and leave this child motherless at what point do you sit there and stop feeling for Jordan to Delta, who just wants to live and then feel for Sarah Jordan. It, it puts a moral conundrum into a story where, you know, big things go boom.
3: Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds.
0: Tom Lincoln.
1: Tom Lincoln. I have issue with Tom Lincoln, the real human, um, being the one that was shot. Because with the clones, the clones would have had that marking. Yeah. On their wrist. Like, the shooter should have known that. So that should have been the first thing he looked for. But he didn't.
0: From that distance, though, he wouldn't necessarily be able to see the branding, but he did see the bracelet that that Lincoln sex echo put on Tom Lincoln.
1: Yeah, true.
0: I but but I do I understand where a story could come where you can create that moral conundrum of the person who is going to die and leave their, their child motherless needs this bu- needs these parts from this clone that they have purchased. The clone is sentient and wants to live. Where's the moral conundrum? I think it's a fascinating story idea. I just don't know if Michael Bay's the director to do that story.
1: Well, that's unfortunate because that would have been a completely different movie and I think would have benefited in the end. You know, like why put the unlikable character as the The main storyline when you you could have focused on a complete, you could have gone a completely different angle and really had the viewer kind of go, I don't know which side I'm on anymore. Like obviously human life is paramount, but so should the lives and the wants and the needs of these clones, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And then it's like, uh, did I actually think that it was okay at the end? like, you know, like, but give me the more human story to tell. yeah, and I, I think
0: again, like I said, there's a there's a fascinating moral conundrum story in that. Um I don't think it's the kind of film that would that would have a one hundred and twenty five million dollar budget.
1: I think part of that was the lawsuit. No, no,
0: <laughs> no, that, I think that's just the filming budget, but that this is, you know, like, again, one of those after the fact things, but getting back to the breakdown here, um, Scarlett Johansson, because we've already talked about her character quite a bit, but how was Scarlett Johansson as Jordan to Delta for you?
1: I love everything she does. Really? She's so great. She can rock any hair color and any hairstyle, <laughs> uh, but that aside, I, you know what? I really liked her and I wanted to see again, more of her.
0: Yeah. Um, We talked about this before we started recording. The only time her hairstyle did not work was the Black Dahlia. I'm just going to put that out there. But I mean, again, getting back to the nature of these clones, they're, they're children. And I think, again, there's this wonderful, youthful naivete in Jordan 2 Delta, right? Everything is new to her you know when they get to the bar right everything is new from the alcohol to the smells to the everything the idea of clothing is new to her like clothing that's not the uh the the adidas track suit that they're all wearing right like and that conveys so much in her expression as she's experiencing everything I mean, you can sit there and, you know, poke holes through the, the, the big explosion scene in Los Angeles when they're being chased. Like, yep, they survived all of this. But
1: And on foot.
0: And on foot. They
1: they outran whatever that hover motorcycle was yeah. in the chase. They really out,
0: they out, they ran so much. The
1: police hummer.
0: They really they, they covered more foot, you know, foot distance than an entire season of Doctor Who. Just going to put it out there. Um, also, tell me you and McGregor wouldn't be a great Doctor Who.
1: Ooh.
0: Right? Yes. Scarlett Johansson as a companion. Love it. Done. Do it. Make it so. Yes. But yeah, I think this is, I don't know if it's one of her best roles, because she's had some phenomenal roles. She's a great actress. I also find it funny that this is the third Scarlett Johansson film we've had to discuss on this show, because of course we talked about Rough Night, and we also talked about The Spirit.
1: I think miss johansson needs to speak to her agent
0: (laughs) well well no she just needs to black widow her agent and get more you know uh, not even better films because it's not like these films are bad they're good films they're just critically panned that's it
1: okay critics leave her alone
0: right like we have seen scarlett johansson tackle hot wings on on uh, on on that one <gasps> YouTube show. Yes, that was so great. You do not want to mess with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> she will she will hot wing you under the table. <laughs> just just putting it out there. Uh moving on. Albert Laurent is played by Jamon Hansu. This is the leader of the special ops team that is sent to chase after them. Uh your thoughts on Jamon Hansu.
1: Yeah, you know what? He was um he was good. No, I mean, here nor there. I mean, it could have been any actor, really. Yeah. Um, The thing I
0: liked about him, right? And, you know, you mentioned Transformers earlier, right? Transformers has a very, you know, raw, raw military kind of feel to some of the characters. Obviously not Shia LaBeouf. He's just too busy Shia LaBeoufing all over the place. But anyone who's involved in the military in Transformers is very raw, raw kind of thing. Jamon Hansu isn't military. He's special ops, right? He's covert. He's cool. He's suave. Not suave per se. I didn't really find him. He's, that suave. He's, no, I was going to say not suave, but he's efficient, right? He's not loud. He's not he's not barking orders like a caricature of a G.I. Joe action figure, right? He's meant to work in the shadows.
1: I could have seen like a Sam Jackson in that role. I think Jamon Hansu
0: played it better. Sam Jackson might have been too much, in my opinion.
1: I, think- I thought it needed it, though. Nah. Like, again, he was kind of unassuming to me, so I was like, eh, yeah, he's okay.
0: No, 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 no. He, 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 there were times when he had that look of, like, he will straight up kill you and you won't even see it. Samuel Jackson will monologue and say about 17 times before he puts a bullet in you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that you, makes
1: it more entertaining.
0: You want 17 17- before a bullet goes into somebody (laughs) i understand now (laughs) but but it's it's i will say his character is way more subtle than you would give anything in a michael bay film credit for like you you expect a michael bay film to be loud like loud and he can come in and be like a silent killer it's great I think it was cool. Um Ethan Phillips, most people will remember him as Neelix from Star Trek Voyager. He plays Jones 3 Echo. Um your thoughts.
1: Fantastic. So great. Like <laughs> just thinking of of his portrayal of his of his clone, it just brings a smile to my face.
0: This is it's funny. Because you were talking earlier about wanting to know more about the sponsors and kind of thing. And especially if some of the personality is because Ethan Phelps was playing Jones 3 Echo, that means he's the same batch, if you will, the same line as Lincoln 6 Echo. So you have to think that some of the personality along with the memories probably seeped in through the DNA into, the, into their the way they are. He's a bit of a nut job jones three echo and this is one of the situations where i'm like i would love to know the backstory of that sponsor right because that would that right there would give you an indication to ha- because he's he acts so differently than any of the other clones why
1: right so he very much played like an eccentric like wealthy or i i could see it being a very eccentric wealthy character yeah. You know, like maybe like a shut-in, someone who didn't have many friends or family. Yeah. And just...
0: But but the fact that he's he's got this like sheet of paper with his, you know, made up mathematical equation of how he's proving that he's going to win the lottery, you expect the sponsor to probably have like a bunch of like, you know, seven style notebooks, you know, stashed away on bookshelves. Or but,
1: almost kind of like an inventor or like a Doc Brown.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes oh, like a Christopher Lloyd yeah yeah um yeah like there are some cases where yes the the lives of the sponsors in comparison to how the clones develop is, is very interesting. I I will say like say what you will about the story about this movie, not necessarily cribbing but but have bearing similarities to a lot of different properties before it um I think that there's there's a there's a series in this in this movie that it doesn't need to be an overarching storyline through the, you could have an anthology series based on the island and each episode tells the story of one of the clones and their sponsors like that's that would be fascinating mm-hmm. very very fascinating like there's room for this movie to come back and have life as a series i think
1: but Without that's, the Michael Bay, blow them up. Yeah, explosions. My, Michael Bay
0: wants to produce it. Go right ahead.
1: Totally unnecessary, though.
0: Yeah, but no. Well, no. The Michael Bay money could produce it. Well, but I mean, get different directors, right? Get them in there. Make an anthology series focusing on different clones. It base. It would kind of feel, I think, a little bit like Westworld in a sense. So that Westworld vibe with the island world building thrown together into an anthology series on Netflix. If this now happens, I want some of that Michael Bay money. You're welcome. (laughs) Seven figures, y'all. Steve Buscemi as James McCord. I know you love Buscemi, so I'm just going to throw this one right to you.
1: Oh, he was so perfectly perfect. He was so Buscemi and so on point. I mean, that, that scene where he was like, you could tell that dilemma of like, if he helps them out, they're, they're both going to die and he's totally aware of it, but he's still, he's a good guy at, at heart and he still helps them. He's a, and I just, oh, uh, I a, love Buscemi.
0: He's a reluctant good guy though.
1: Yeah. But you know what? He, uh, he's just so incredibly good at what he does.
0: Yeah. I, I will say, and like, obviously, we're going back to Armageddon, because of course he was in that, directed by Michael Bay, his character in that was very loud and very obnoxious in a good Buscemi type way. He wasn't loud or obnoxious here. And and I think you can see that he, I don't know if he likes Lincoln sex echo, but I think he's amused by it. He's intrigued by him because he's so, he's so different from the other clones. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a fascination, I think.
1: It's always Buscemi going for the underdog characters, and you know what? I I was just so sad that he met his demise the way he did. And like, that was hard to watch. It's
0: interesting too because it's not like the it it was a big death scene. It's not like this was like an epic death scene. It was he was he to
1: was, me it was
0: he wasn't killed. He was dispatched. Does That's he, how it felt.
1: Does he have a clone?
0: No, no. He just works there. Fail. You, you saw the place he lived in. He can't afford a clone. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's He's, he's got to order all those mail order costumes for his, uh, for his girlfriend there.
1: Dead or worse, fired.
0: <laughs> uh, Sean Bean is Dr. Merrick, the CEO of the facility. Of course, most people will know Sean Bean as Ned Stark from Game of Thrones. But how was he for you?
1: I thought he was okay. Um, again, you know, nothing really spectacular stood out.
0: I I, I will say, like, at first, I like the calm demeanor of Dr. Merrick, right? It reminded me a lot, and I'm going to draw a Moon Knight comparison here, of Ethan Hawke's character. Not the regular character, but when they go into that little dream state psych ward where where Moon Knight is, like, you know, in between life and death kind of thing. He's in the big white room, and Ethan Hawke is playing the doctor that's trying to, you know, you know, get him to to realize that, you know, it's very subtle, but it's just one of those, you don't know whether it's a mind game or it's a role he's playing, knowing that he's dealing with clones that are of a childlike mentality. Like, it's fascinating. But then it, dev- you know, the, the character does devolve into, you know, megalomaniacal CEO that's not going to let anyone tear down his empire. I think... The first half of the movie, Sean Bean is great. I think the second half of the movie, the character could have been written better. But that, that again, that's just me. Michael Clark Duncan as Starkweather 2 Delta. It's a smaller role, but I mean, you ask me, if Michael Clark Duncan is on the screen, I'm smiling.
1: He's so good. Right? He really is. Like, you just, I wanted to see him survive. Like, but. Yeah, what a, ooh, it was you're right, it was probably one of the hardest to watch death scenes. Yeah. Knowing
0: Michael Bay films now. They've kind of become a parody of themselves. There's a look. There's a Michael Bay look
1: lots of explosions
0: lots of explosions there's that low low tracking shot camera as someone stands up and you know looks off into the into the distance as the sun is behind them kind of thing it's a signature
1: car chase
0: well the fact the fact that there were scenes from that car chase with like the you know the where they're pushing like the the train wheels off the tra- off the truck some of those car chase scenes were actually put into Transformers Dark of the Moon, apparently. So it's, you know, cut and paste. Right. But it's...
1: Hey, he's already paid for them.
0: Right? and got to save money somewhere, right? He owns them. But but I, I ask, though, because there's such a stigma on Michael Bay films now, going back and watching this, does it feel to Michael Bay or is it okay?
1: Hmm... It's a good question. I mean, as far as Michael Bay films go, there was only really that small, it was almost like a middle section, almost, I want to call that the intermission. That's the Michael Bay <laughs> intermission um, between the two parts to this movie. Yeah. You know, the the utopian society versus the real world and <laughs> the Michael Bay intermission where things go boom. Yeah. Um. I don't really know if I answered your question, but yeah, I mean, it kind of felt like he didn't Michael Bay all over the place. Like it wasn't constant, which is nice. Yeah, Um, There was definitely a story um, or two. (laughs) I
0: I mean, I guess the thing for me is, you know, you were shocked that I said that this is probably my favorite Michael Bay film of all time. I think the thing of it is that it's... Despite the comparisons to other movies and other properties, it felt original. Right? Transformers, I'm very invested in Transformers lore. So when these, you know, these big giant CGI robots don't look like what I grew up with. Like, <laughs> we're I'm sure somewhere down the road, we're going to talk about a whole lot of Transformers films because I got bones to pick with some of those. But the bad boys films for for what they are they're okay but they're they're Michael bay buddy cop films.
1: Yeah, but I think for that one the big explosions were actually warranted, so I don't really hate on that. Warranted, but but it's formulaic, right? I would say the Bad Boys films are probably my favorite. I mean,
0: he there there, there were some good films in his filmography. There's no denying that. The Rock Armageddon like these are these are good films you know the the you can have you can have literally have two movies that are very similar come out in the same year one of them directed by Michael Bay to see the difference I could say that because it happened Armageddon came out it was like three months before Deep Impact and it's stark the difference in storytelling one more point I need to bring up and this is this is a personal thing, because I mean we, we've talked about this before. I'm a musician, so the music plays a big thing for me here. The score by Steve Jablonski for this film—it is an absolutely fabulous score. Like I don't know about you, I don't know if it hit you like it, like it did me. This score is—I am—I am surprised. That Steve Jablonski did not win any awards for this score. It is that good.
1: I just want to know what song they were playing in the bar.
0: I I still need to look that up. But if any of our listeners do know what it is do please hit us up on on Twitter at not that badcast. Because I fully admit that I did not look it up. I apologize. Um, but now that I've gone on my little, you know praise of Steve Steve Jablonski. Like, it's clear. There's a a good reason why Michael Bay brought Steve Jablonski on to compose the soundtrack for Transformers. The island was freaking phenomenal as far as as the score goes. But we cannot hide anymore. So, Carrie, who is your MVP? Who wins the lottery of the island?
1: Ah. You know what? I have debated and... And feared this question all day. Um, because I actually have like I have a three-way tie.
2: Oh no, I have a no, tri-tie. No.
0: It's not like this film was a big cast.
1: All right. Let me let me run through the list though. Cause you know I love Buscemi. I know so you love anything Buscemi. He's in, he's always my favorite character because he's Steve Buscemi. Okay, but
0: he was in like a third of the film. So
1: that aside, that aside, because I've already mentioned how fantastic he was. And I've already mentioned that Ewan McGregor, speaking in his hometown tongue of of his Scottish accent, was phenomenal. You like his gauss? I really liked (laughs) liked that character. But I am going to go with Neelix. Ethan Phillips. I'm going to go with Ethan
0: Phillips. As Jones 3 Echo.
1: He was so wacky. I just liked him so much. He
0: was fun.
1: He was so much fun. You know what? You know what it is? It's all because of that one line where um, the clones are asked to sit quietly and he is just on the edge of his seat and he's like, oh yes, okay, thank you, sir. You know, like,
0: something's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's, you know, thrown into the oven. Right. Yeah. Um, I debated and I, I it was a toss up between two. And as much as I thought Scarlett Johansson was absolutely phenomenal in this, I'm going to go Ewan McGregor on this one here. There's, I I think if we got to meet Sarah Jordan, the sponsor for Jordan to Echo, and we had we got to see Scarlett Johansson play multiple characters, that would have tipped everything over for me over to her. But because Ewan McGregor had to play both Lincoln Six Echo and Tom Lincoln, um, and I I will say, like, in Michael Bay's defense, normally sometimes when you have someone playing, you know, a clone or a twin of themselves kind of thing, it can look a little ches. They nailed it. They absolutely nailed the scenes where both Lincolns were on screen at the same time.
1: I love the car scene. Right? Like, I, I mean, mad respect because it's like, it was it, like where they're like hitting each other or, you know, holding the gun right to his head. It's like, wow, <laughs> it, was,
0: it was really well done. It was really well done. And even like little lines here and there, like there's a line when, um, you know, he, he comes back after, after Tom Lincoln is shot and he comes back to, to find Jordan to Delta at the house kind of thing. And then they, they start making out kind of thing. He says a line says, Oh, that tongue thing's amazing. I was reading on IMDB that apparently the first time he ever actually kissed a girl, he actually said it. Yeah. To which he's like, you know, how much of a geek did I sound like, you know, at that age?
1: Really? Yeah.
0: To to, to the point of if you find on Spotify the Steve Jablonski score of this film. And please, by all means, if you do like listening to like classical type music, go find the score. It's, It's great to listen to. There is a track on the score called That Tongue Thing's Amazing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: really yes okay I will have to check that
0: (laughs) oh my god I can't believe I just went there but I went there okay so that is this episode of the island I can't believe we went down a Michael Bay movie road and actually found a ton of actually really good things to say before we go though I have to ask you is there room for a an island two sequel to this
1: no but i loved your idea of making it a series
0: okay michael bay dear michael bay please make this happen and send money because if you don't and you make the series i'm coming after you
1: i'd be happy with seven dollars <laughs> don't
0: give him an out <laughs> no don't give him an out you pay her seven dollars you pay me six uh, seven figures i'll settle for six figures no decimal points anyways this is it's not that bad Carrie, thank you so much for going down this road and to you our listeners you guys know the drill if you think there's a movie out there that is unfairly maligned much like this one or is just so bad that we can't find anything good to say about it hit us up on twitter at not that bad cast or go over to facebook and follow and like us at facebook.com slash not that bad cast let us know and we will watch it we will dissect it and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those a grades in b movies until next time this is it's not that bad she's carrie i'm jay you're awesome take care